The word of the Lord will come to us today from 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll look at verses 13 through 17. I invite you to turn there with me. It would be uh, page 1015 if you have an ESV Bible. I invite you once more, if you're able, to stand for the reading of God's holy word from 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Let us pray. Father, your word is life to us if you minister it to our hearts by your spirit. And apart from that, it is death. And so we pray for the blessing and anointing of your Holy Spirit upon us as we encounter all that you would say. May you speak according to your will and may you address us as you intend to do this morning. For Christ's honor, in whose name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Wednesday morning of this past week, we woke up. To the lame duck session of the 115th Congress of the United States. The election being completed the night before, we are now in that interim period when a new Congress has been elected and yet the old Congress still continues in office until January 3rd when the 116th Congress will take over. Lame ducks They don't have any real governing power in terms of pursuing an agenda. That's why we call them lame. They don't have the will of the people behind them because the election has just happened and they're not the ones necessarily who were elected. And so they do not have the power in our structure to pursue bold governing agendas, but they do have an important role to play. And that role is that they are to steward and manage their offices until the day comes when they hand them over to those who take over next. Imagine what would happen if we didn't have lame duck periods. Imagine the government of the United States dissolved on Tuesday night when we had an election and the new government wasn't ready to take over yet. Well, chaos would ensue in the meantime, wouldn't it? And so these uh, lame duck sessions, they are important in our society. They hold things together, but they don't wield ultimate power. In Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, Jesus, risen from the grave, said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. One implication of what he said is that every single ruler 
every authority of this age just became a lame duck. The authorities of this age do not hold real power over this world. But they are important stewards as long as this age continues. Christ has been enthroned and he holds all power. His kingdom has indeed begun. But that kingdom remains invisible to this present age, glimpsed only in the gathering of the church and yet waiting to be revealed in fullness at his return. In this overlap of ages, in this strange period in which we live, there is a role for earthly rulers and authorities. But that role is not to exercise ultimate power. Why is it important that we understand this principle? It's what will protect us from short-sightedness as we engage with the politics of this age. Short-sightedness would tell us to see the main focus of God's activity in this world either operating through earthly powers of government or operating in resistance to earthly powers of government. Either approach puts too much focus on what doesn't deserve that kind of focus. In fact, the greatest focus of God's work in this world is through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The most political acts that happen in this world are the acts of declaring that Jesus Christ is crucified and risen from the dead and He is now Lord over all. They are the acts of baptizing those who confess faith in Him. They are the acts of sharing the Lord's Supper together as a declaration that we belong to His kingdom. So what does this mean for our lives? I'll tell you first what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we should obsess over earthly politics to the degree that our culture does. If you walk into a fast food place today, you are likely to see a television with cable news running that will be all politics all the time. If you turn on any talk radio, you look at social media, you look at even the nightly news, everything is about politics all the time and increasingly Every dimension of our lives is coming under that broader category of political battles because we are an age that is obsessed with earthly power. The reason I believe we are is because we've lost a vision of transcendent power. Not seeing God for who He is, our default mode then is to obsess over the power of this age, to turn the earthly powers of this age into God's. Peter instructs us in a way that's very timely and relevant. He tells us in this passage that we must respect and obey earthly authorities while recognizing that they are not the ultimate powers over us. He has actually just said in chapter 2 verse 12 which is really the thesis statement for all of this section of his letter, uh, all the way until chapter 4, verse 11. He has just said this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. How do we keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable? Well, Peter's going to go on and explain. He's going to show first, Submit to authorities. And he's going to talk about authorities of government and then authorities 
in the home. Well, we're just going to look today at verses 13 to 17 on submission to the authorities of civil society. And so Peter gives us uh, instruction here that I'm going to, to draw out in the form of two commands uh, today. Number one, submit to the authorities of this age. Submit to the authorities of this age, according to verses 13 to 16. Think about how important authority is in life. Authority brings order. It brings fulfillment of purpose. It leads to the flourishing of life when executed rightly. There's a story in Acts chapter 6 where uh, the early church in Jerusalem, they were sharing their resources with one another. And we heard Timothy O'Day preach last week uh, on a passage that referred to that, how the early church shared their resources. And one of the reasons they shared them was because widows in that society were financially destitute. And so they were, uh, in part, caring for their widows. Well, it looked like this sharing was mostly an organic kind of activity. It just happened relationally at first. And anytime something begins to grow, uh, systems begin to develop. But those systems often will fail in the beginning because they haven't been fully developed yet. And so there's a system failure that happens in Acts chapter 6. And that system failure has to do with some widows are getting food and others aren't. The, uh, the Hebrew widows were getting their food daily. The, the Hellenist widows were not. The Hellenists being the ones who adopted Greek culture and language. And for whatever reason, perhaps the Hebrew uh, widows had better connections, better relationships. They are receiving food, the Hellenists are not. And the apostles realize as this is happening, this is not only bad for the Hellenistic widows, this has the potential to split the church. If we are seen as showing favoritism to one group over another, and it persists that way, we have the potential for disaster. So what did the apostles do? They asked the church to appoint seven men. And these seven men were given authority over the church's resources to develop a system that would make sure everyone received fair distribution of food. And this was likely the beginning of the office of deacon. Now, what we see in that story is that what it required was authority. It required someone who could see the whole picture, who could stand over it, and who could direct resources here and there and put a system in place that achieved a purpose. Authority does that. Authority gives order, structure. It coordinates efforts so that what results is the flourishing of life, the fulfillment of purpose, the maintaining of order. Authority is immensely important in this world. And so Peter tells us to submit to authority. And in doing so, he tells us what to do, why we should do it, and how we should do it. Uh, So notice in verses 13 and 14, he gives a command of what to do. He says in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So he begins with a general command. What are we to do? We are to submit to every human institution, every authority. That includes at your workplace. That includes in your home. That includes out in society in general. Where there is authority, be submissive to that authority. But then Peter narrows his focus specifically to speak of governing authorities as he names the emperor and the governors sent by him. What is interesting about that is that at the time Peter's writing, he's probably referring to the emperor Nero, 
And this emperor would be the man who eventually ordered Peter's execution. But here Peter is telling his readers to submit to the emperor, to submit to governors that he sends in his name. That is, Christians are not to be social revolutionaries who seek to upend the system. That's what we are to do. Why should we do it? There are at least three reasons why we should submit to authority. And I'll I'll look at three uh, throughout verses 13 to 15. Look again at verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. That is, we are to submit to authority not for the authority's own sake, but for the Lord's sake. Recognizing the Lord Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. That He has authority all over all the kings of this age. And that as long as He chooses to leave them in place, He is delegating authority to them, a measured authority, and He has instructed us to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. So we submit not for the authority's own sake, but for Christ's sake. That's the first reason. The second is that authorities serve a good purpose, an important purpose. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 14 again. Governors sent by him, why? To punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Government exists among us for the purpose of restraining sin. We of all people as Christians should know the depths of sin in the human heart. We of all people should know that. It's interesting if you look at the roots of our constitutional system, a system designed to distribute power so that it's never concentrated in in any one set of hands or, or one narrow group of hands. I don't think you get to the U.S. Constitution without the Calvinistic theology that came before it. The understanding that The human heart is wicked, and that sin has to be restrained. Well, God has given us a measure of restraint. Governments cannot change our hearts, but they can keep us from killing one another. They can bring order to a society that is full of sinful people. If we did not have government, imagine what would ensue. Imagine the chaos. Imagine the tribal warfare that would result. Imagine that the only law that would regulate our lives together would be that might makes right. I don't want to live in a world like that. And I'm thankful for the common grace of God through human government and its purpose uh, in protecting the good and uh, restraining evil. That's a second reason as Christians we should submit to authority because of the good purpose it serves. The third is that by submitting to authority we defend the gospel. Peter says in verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This resonates a lot with what Peter's already said in verse 12. We've already looked at verse 12 where Peter mentioned that that when they, the Gentiles, speak against you as evildoers, they are to see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So Peter's writing to people who are being spoken against, who are being slandered. And uh, part of that slander would have been suspicion of Christians that they were social revolutionaries, that they were interested in upending the order of society because they proclaimed Jesus as Lord and they did not uh, honor the emperor 
uh, in the same way that pagans often would through worship of a god. So it's only natural that they'd be, be slandered over that. Well, Peter says, take away any ammunition that that slander might, ha- might have by the way you live, by the way you show submission to authority. In doing so, you will defend the gospel. You will silence the ignorance of foolish people. When I read verses 12 and 15 and, and see the vision that Peter lays out for how we are to live in society, and, and notice specifically, he mentions doing good in verse 15. We are to be those who do good. Um, I'm drawn to ask this question. Do my neighbors, uh, I'll put it this way, are my neighbors, those who live in my own neighborhood, are they happy that I'm there? Do they see my life as contributing to the good of the neighborhood and the good of our community and the good of our city? Do they see me as one who does good, who's seeking their good with the way I live my life? I'm drawn to ask that question because I know the American way more and more is becoming focused, focused narrowly on yourself. Focus and pursue your dreams. Keep to yourself. Stay inside because you've got other things to do. Uh, I think it, it's, uh, it's providential that, that John framed the prayer this morning the way that he did because um, one of the things I wanted to say was, Perhaps we could do with another perspective. Perhaps we as Christians could, could um, instead of always focusing on pursue your own individual dreams, think more in terms of how can I pursue the good of this place where God has put me? How can I pursue the good of here? Instead of always thinking about there, where I'm going to be later, how can I invest in the lives of my neighbors right now? How can I invest in my community right now? What can I do to be one who does good and adorns the gospel with my life? Have I taken advantage of opportunities God has put in front of me for that? So Peter tells us what we are to do, submit to authority. Why? For the Lord's sake, to fulfill its good purpose, to defend the gospel. And he tells us how we are to do this, in what manner should we submit to authorities? In verse 16, he says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. We submit to authorities of this age as free people. What that means is they do not own us. We are not their slaves. We do not belong to them. They do not have ultimate power over us. And as a result, we do not cower before them in fear. We don't obey them because we're afraid of them. We obey them as those who are free, who are destined to inherit the kingdom that has been established in Jesus Christ. But Peter tells his readers, be careful with this idea of freedom. Don't assume that because you're free that you have no obligations in this present age. Now, that's an important word because there have been groups going by the name of Christian in the past who have uh, assumed that they had no obligations to this age and have become revolutionary in their activities as a result. Peter says, don't use this idea of freedom to cover up evil. As much as we might resonate with the goal 
and share the goal that there should be no more abortion in this country, we cannot and must not ever resort to violent means to try to make that happen. We are not to be those who seek to overthrow the order that is here. Instead, our example is to be Jesus before Pontius Pilate. In John 19, verse 10, this is what Pilate said to Jesus, Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus did not cower in fear. He did not plead for his life. He didn't even blink. He just responded by saying, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Jesus knew where the real power is. But that did not lead Jesus to assume that Pilate therefore needed to be overthrown at that moment. Jesus did not set out to engage in revolution against the Roman government because to do so was too insignificant a goal for him. It was too small a thing to overthrow Rome. He had a much bigger purpose in mind. He was there to redeem the world. We must submit to the authorities of this age, but do so as free people who are, sit, who are destined to sit in judgment over them in the age to come. Now, you might be asking Peter as you read this, Peter, aren't there times when we are supposed to resist authorities? Aren't there times when civil disobedience is indeed called for? It's important to keep in mind, Peter is the same man who's mentioned in the book of Acts, who along with the other apostles in Acts 5, when they were told by the Jewish council not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus, their response was in in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. And they engaged in civil disobedience, nonviolent civil disobedience, to the authorities of this age so that they could obey the higher authority of God. Now, you may read this passage and say, Peter doesn't bring that up anywhere here. He doesn't in any way suggest that that's an option, but actually he does if you look close enough. Notice again what he says in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake. What if the authority is telling you to sin? Or what if the authority is telling you not to do what you know Christ has commanded you to do, not to preach the gospel, for example. Can you obey that authority in sin for the Lord's sake? Well, of course you can't. Notice again, verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. What if authorities command you to do evil? Can you do evil and yet still do good? No, of course not. Or look again at verse 16, where at the end of the verse, he says, we are to live as servants of God. Can you truly submit to an authority who's commanding you to sin as a servant of God? No, you can't. So Peter, even in the way he writes, is demonstrating that, yes, there may be times for civil disobedience. There may be times when we say to the powers of this age, we must obey God rather than men, and let the consequences for that be what they will. But we are free people, and you cannot tell us to disobey our Lord. Now, the overall point, however, is not there. The overall point of this passage is that we are to submit to earthly authorities 
because they have an important stewardship in this age, a stewardship of a measure of God's authority to restrain evil. And that brings us to our second command here, and that is to honor authorities in their proper place. In verse 17, honor authorities in their proper place. Not only submit to them, but honor them. Now, if it's not clear already, when I say lame duck, I'm not using that as a term of mockery. That's, that's just a commonly accepted phrase in our political discourse. And as I've said, um, the authorities of this age, they have an important role, even if they are, in a sense, lame ducks. Paul writes this about human authority in Romans 13, 1 and 2. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Human authorities represent a measure of God's own authority. And therefore, when we honor them, we are honoring God's authority expressed through them. Now, President Obama was a very polarizing figure on the national scene for eight years. President Trump is now a very polarizing figure in office today. The next president will probably be polarizing, given where we are as a country. Perhaps some of you were were tempted to say during the years of President Obama, he's not my president. Perhaps some of you are tempted to say today of President Trump, He's not my president. Perhaps some of us will be tempted in the future to say of whatever president comes along later, he or she is not my president. I've seen that as a hashtag. I want to urge you not to speak that way. I want to urge you to to consider what you're saying. Because a president of the United States, however much that man or woman may do things that dishonor God, is still President of the United States, established by the authority that God has given. And to deny that is to deny what God has appointed. So when I say that, I do not mean that God endorses everything that that President would do. I know God doesn't endorse lighting up the White House with rainbow colors on the day of the Obergefell decision. I know that God doesn't approve of that. I also know that many things that come across Twitter today from our own president, God does not approve of that. But God has appointed whom he will. And we are to respect the authority that God has established, even in the way we speak about these authorities. Now, the way Peter gives the commands in verse 17, notice that they progress Upward in obligation. In verse 17, he says, Honor everyone first. Verse 17, honor everyone. That is, every single human being is made in the image of God and worthy of our honor as such. Let us be those who honor all people. But notice the next command takes it up a level. Love the brotherhood. Now he's narrowed the focus to believers in the church who, whom, with whom we share our lives. Now, of course, is there a command to love our neighbor as ourselves? Yes, we are to love our neighbors. But here, Peter's speaking of a higher level of obligation, a level that, that would include sharing our lives and entrusting ourselves to one another and making sure that 
that our brother's well-being is as dear to us as our own. Making sure that we are engaged with one another's lives and making sure that every need among us is met. In Acts 4.34, which Timothy uh, read last week in his sermon, uh, this is said, there was not a needy person among them in the church of Jerusalem, not a single needy person, because the brotherhood, they loved one another. It doesn't say that, that there was not a single needy person in all of Jerusalem and Judea, but it does say there was not a single needy person among them. The poor we will always have with us in society, but in the church, let there be no need that goes unmet because we share our lives with one another. So we are to honor everyone, but then it's a step up with the church. We are to love the brotherhood. Notice another step up with the next command. Fear God. Fear God. Revere His name. Honor Him as supreme over all things. Honor His comprehensive lordship over every part of life. Fear everything that would incur His wrath. Fear God. I remember several years ago as Lee was preaching through the book of Revelation and he's talking about this warfare that's going on in that book between Christ, the Lamb upon the throne, and the beast representative of earthly powers. Lee made the the very good and memorable point that it is better to face the wrath of the beast now than to face the wrath of the Lamb later. Fear God. And then notice, he's, he's going to honor everyone. He's going to step up. Love the brotherhood. Another step up. Fear God. How is he going to end this? Notice what he says about the emperor. Honor the emperor. He comes back down to where he started. In other words, he's saying, the emperor, in one sense, is at the level of everyone else. Our obligation to the emperor, yes, is to honor him. Yes, honor his office. But there is no command to fear the emperor. There is certainly no command to worship the emperor. We are to fear God, and we are to honor those who have authority in this age. Peter subtly puts the emperor in his proper place by arranging the commands this way. The emperor has an important office, but he's not as important as he thinks he is. So looking at verse 17, are there ways that you think, as the the scripture has addressed you this morning, that that you may need to repent and think through, have I been dishonorable in the way that I talk about those who wield authority? Have I been uh, prone to dishonor them, prone to dishonor the authority of, of God that they represent. Be willing to repent before the Word of God and receive the forgiveness that He gives in Christ and walk in obedience. So how are we to live then through a lame duck session? As Christ has all authority, we are to submit to earthly authorities, but not for their sake, for the Lord's sake. We are to honor authorities of this age, but fear only God. And we are to live this way because we know where the true power lies. In the hands of Jesus of Nazareth, seated at the right hand of God. Amen.
We're going to come to the Lord's table, and as we do, I want to talk to you about the two most political acts that we perform as a church, other than the preaching of the Word of God. We declare the Lordship of Christ publicly through baptism and the Lord's Supper. If you have not been baptized, I want to invite you to come to Christ in faith. Christ, who was crucified for sinners, who was raised from the dead, who is now seated at the right hand of God, will come again, and he represents the greatest threat to you if you have not bent the knee to him. But the good news this morning is that he is Lord and Savior who died for the sake of his enemies, who extends in this time of patience an open hand that they might come in repentance and faith and receive forgiveness. And if you would come to him this morning in faith for forgiveness of sins, we would love to baptize you and to show publicly that you now belong to him. Would you come and and speak to one of us today about baptism if that's where you are? If you are a believer in Christ, you've been baptized and you are uh, under the authority of a local church as a member, we invite you to eat and drink with us here at the Lord's table. This very political act that we engage in every week where we declare once more every single week that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. So would you take a moment of silence as we prepare to distribute the elements?